Welcome to the Manager Tools Podcast. Today's topic, Horseman's Wager. You know, we've been very pleased so far with the demand for our interviewing series of podcasts. Close to 1,000 purchases so far, and the early feedback has been really quite powerful. If you'd like to read what folks are saying, we'll post a link on the website. Same goes for ordering the product. But one of the tenets that distinguishes the cast is its emphasis on preparation. One person on the forum actually suggested that folks buy it before they need it, because they discovered that many of our suggestions require time to implement And literally, it can take months to do, if done right. But there are those who disagree. There are interviewees who believe that the key to interviewing is to, quote-unquote, play the game. Many of these folks will tell you that the way to prepare is learn about the company so that one can be what the company wants. Well, we believe that this is false, and we spend some time proving it in lesson one of our interviewing series. And for those who have suggested that to Mark, they meet with the famous response, you've never seen Horseman's Wager, have you? Well, in this cast, we'll discuss Horseman's Wager and why playing the game is the kiss of death in interviewing. Here we go. So is, is, this, uh, is, this, is this question something you've gotten a lot of? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, hey, you think I knew the answer to that question before yeah, I asked yeah, it? Um, I, I think I've said my standard response to the the question about playing the game so many times. I probably have sounded bored when I delivered it. It's almost like, okay, here we go. Let me explain again. Uh, it's just a very common refrain, particularly from um, people who are fairly new to the interviewing game. Yeah, for a second there, I thought you said you sounded boring, but now you said you you, you yeah. sounded bored. Oh, that, that <laughs> could be different. It could be. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> it could happen. So, so what uh, what do folks ask you when this this comes up? What kind of things do they ask? Oh, you? look, they come up and they they want to know the secret, right? Um, the, the the one thing the as Harvey Pinnock said in his book, the magic move. Um, you know. Um, the key to riches, whatever it's got, we should be able to boil it down. It should be simple. I, you just tell me this one thing. Give me the, give me the, the little nugget, the kernel, the perfection. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you'd think by now that if there were, if there were this secret in such a widely encountered system, it'd be public by now, right? Yeah, you'd think exactly. <laughs> and that's why I think younger, newer interviewees, ask it but the, somehow they clearly thought they weren't they were the one that hadn't gotten the memo or that everybody else knew kind of like managers oh everybody else knows what they're doing and i'm the only one who doesn't duh not true yeah and of course the underlying thing here is they're just trying to avoid that hard work of preparation yeah exactly i mean shoot why, why should i pay for the ticket if i can get somebody to give it for give it to me for free right why should i work hard if i don't have to um yeah absolutely right yeah, and the fact that there's not something like that just made them believe even more that, you know, Congress has the cure for cancer all locked up and the oil companies have a, a, a gasoline-driven yeah. engine that, that yeah. will go for 200 miles, has 350 brake horsepower. and they're just Yeah, and the unions have it too, but they don't want to release it because they'll lose jobs, 
Yeah, right? exactly. And the auto companies can make a car that goes 200 miles. Like, yeah. We could, we could have a whole show just on that. Okay. Um, well, we probably so, offended yeah, like 5% so, anyway, of our and, listeners. And all so. of it, to your point, is in, in the service of laziness. Um, people don't want to do hard work. And of course, by that time, by the time this had come to you, top of your head, you already had too many horsemen's laws. So you got a little <laughs> creative and came up with horsemen's wager. Yeah, I actually, when it happened, I mean, I, it was, you know, the 500th time I've been asked the question and, and always in a conspiratorial whisper, like, you know, I know you tell your clients this, but you can give it to me on the sly for free. Um, and I had just read somewhere, somebody had just pointed out, um, uh, Pascal's wager. Um, and it just clicked with me that that was essentially the situation we were in. Right now. And if I recall it properly, uh, Pascal's wager, essentially this kind of two by two matrix that, attempted to show the choice one had regarding the existence of God. And, you know, pretty much the, the choice was either give up a few hedonistic pleasures or um, versus avoiding the possibility of eternal damnation. So it was yeah, pretty, eternal, pretty the whole easy choice. The damnation to, thing was in his wager, which is not in ours. <laughs> yeah, so, so deciding, in the fa- deciding in the favor of God existing was a fairly simple, simple yeah, decision. Um, yeah, yeah. And look, I, I'm not Blaise Pascal. Uh, we make no pronouncements here regarding religion or spirituality in the cast. Uh, we don't suppose to be anything other than completely normal in intelligence. We are. I am certainly a cheese ball compared to Mr. Pascal. Um, he look at. He just came up with a neat way of communicating this essential argument. Um, you know, let's face it. I, I I don't know if he created the two by two. And for all I know. Guys back then, they were all batting around two-by-twos all the darn time. But for most business applications, and I do in fact know there's a book about two-by-twos. It's not very good, but it's out there. Hey, you didn't um, read the, the Republic? They, they, he had in there, I think. Uh, oh, is that Plato, right? I think Plato had this two-by-two two matrix. Two by two. So, <laughs> I love it. He probably does, and we, don't, we, we just wouldn't call it that. Um, but for really, for most business applications, when people talk two-by-twos, um, his use of it was iconic. The whole trying to illuminate a situation where an actor has to make a choice between two possibilities and the result is one of two possible outcomes or things, um, that, that essential process versus uh, choice, outcome versus process is a, is a core part of Pascal's. It, it, it is at the heart of the wager, at least intellectually. Right. Yeah. Put differently, it just shows a dilemma with binary outcomes and then contrast them. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I, once again, it takes me a hundred words and you say five or seven and yeah, you get it. You dilemma, a dilemma with binary outcomes. And of course the word dilemma comes from die, meaning two. Um, I guess lemmas are a bad thing. <laughs> um, um, so look, uh, maybe I'm not as smart as him, but maybe you are. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> so so some since some listeners have already figured it out, and probably some don't even have a clue yet, let's get right to the heart of things. What are we going to do in this cast? Okay, good. Our outline for this cast is really simple. Um, we have two preparatory points, um, followed by five parts of Horseman's Wager. The two preparatory points are interviewing as a black box, and uh, playing the interviewing game is a classic myth. Um, and then the five parts are, first, we're going to go over the two-by-two two description. We're going to walk through the, the setup of the, 
the model, and there's, there'll be a slide, um, obviously there'll be a slide on the website to, to make things a little bit easier for folks, or a description. And then um, we'll go through all four of the quadrants. Quadrant one, you are, you, you, you are yourself, be yourself, and you get an offer. Quadrant two, you're yourself and you prepare, and you don't get an offer. Quadrant three, you play the game, and you get an offer. And quadrant four, you play the game, but you don't get an offer. And it will become incredibly clear that playing the game is not only lazy, but incredibly ineffective in both the short and long run. Yeah, even it's really terribly ineffective and very dangerous in the long run. And in the short run, it can be very ineffective as well. And uh, I'll tell you what, when we get to when we get to Q4, there'll be some if people haven't been converted to the concept and then therefore, hopefully they'll get the core point of this cast, which is preparation is the thing that makes the difference, not shortcut. Um, not playing the game uh, when they get to when you hear quadrant four, I, I think people will run for the hills when they hear the uh, you know when they think about playing the game. Agreed. Yeah, and and really, when you think about playing the game, there is only one situation which we'll talk about that justifies its use, and it really is a short term benefit. And what's more, it's really driven by fear. And then, of course, it ends in tears, as all unethical behaviors sooner or later do. Yeah, as all game playing of any kind does yeah. sooner or later. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with, the, inter- with the, the point of interviewing is a black box. I think I know what you mean, um, and I know folks absolutely feel that way. Yeah, um, I, this is one of those things where it's the kernel of truth right? That leads us into the pit of despair of poor interviewing. You know, all good myths, all good lies, all good prevarications, you know, misdirections, red herrings start with a kernel of truth. And and they're described in such a plausible tone of voice. Well, of course, Mr. Jackson, you know that this is true. So therefore, this must follow, this must follow. So therefore, black is white. Um, I think actually, there are a bunch of Broadway musicals based on that very principle. Um, Look, when you have a system with known inputs and it's fed into an unknown process from which you get unpredictable outcomes, to me, that is the quintessential black box. Actually, that's a little off, and it's even, it's even worse than you just said. I think the purest use of the term is just that the process, you know, that action occurring at a point in system before the input or after the input and before right. the output is undescribed for whatever reason. So the, the process is simply described in terms of inputs and outputs. I don't think that the unpredictability of outcomes is a core part of that definition. Yeah, you're right. Um, you're totally right again. Um, I'm, I'm getting a little sloppy. I'm just sort of mixing up my metaphors again. But you're right. In- interviewing is a black box just because, in, I guess in the purest sense, interviewing is a black box because most folks don't understand how to interview and they don't get detailed data about what happens during the interview. Well, l- largely because companies don't have this repeatable system, right? It, which just boggles our collective <laughs> non-Pascalian minds. Yeah, we. Um, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, so, so here's the way you think about it. Hey, Joe interviewed. I know Joe. He's the input. I find out later whether Joe got an offer or not. And, and, and of course, the outcome is offer or not. So folks do behave around interviews as if they were black boxes. They, 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 there's input and there's output, and, and the process in the middle is un, undescribable in some fashion. Um, 
And I have a feeling, though, Mike, that you just saved us probably 100 emails from the high seas and the programmers and the IT architects and the systems theorists and the audience that say, now, Mark, you, it doesn't really describe a black box to just say that the outcomes are necessarily unpredictable. Um, all it says is the process is unknown. Well, yeah, we, we admit the process is absolutely unknown. Yeah, well, okay. But, you know, that said, um, I do think you have a case around the unpredictability as well. Yeah, I, I think it follows. I, I, think, um, I think I just probably tried to make the theory fit too perfectly to my, to my set of circumstances. Um, I just extended the theory a little bit by suggesting that for many of us, if we see something as a black box, based on the definition you described it, um, we're likely to be unable to predict the outcome. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. Yeah, and, and, and that's a key part of why so many interviewees, in my opinion, go down the wrong path when it comes to preparation. Oh, you know that. Um, that unpredictability is a huge, a huge deterrent to preparation. I mean, in essence, it boils down to, look, if I can't predict it, why bother? Yeah, I think that's a function of how busy everybody is. And, you know, I don't have time to do hardly anything. Why would I do something that I, I literally have no clue about what the process I'm going to be put through? So why should I bother with a detailed and, and, and a voluminous and, and careful and professional and ethical preparatory process? Um, if I can't figure out what's happening in there, how can I be sure that the hours I spend are worth it? Look, I may be great and I may be well prepared. And yet I get a purely random, according to my understanding of the model, may not be to the interviewer, but to me, uh, I get a purely random no coming out of an interview. I don't get an offer. That's got to put a damper on people's enthusiasm. And so to me, that's sort of a cognitive dissonance. I did my work and I didn't get what I wanted. I'm going to have to reconcile those in some way. Since I know I can't predict the interviews because other people are interviewing at this time and I'm wondering why my buddy doesn't get the interviews, the offers I expect and other people I don't even know get what I would expect them never to get, um, I'm going to say, well, that's the easy way to solve the cognitive dissonance. I'm going to stop preparing and if there's some shortcuts, I'm going to take them. Yeah, but that that I've prepared, I get this random output out of the model. I mean, that rarely happens. You know, it's funny. I think people, because they because they generally believe big picture that it's unpredictable, I think they think it happens far more frequently, um, and, and and they don't believe that the process by which companies put them through have has any validity. That's not to say that it, it does have a lot of validity, but I think people are incorrectly painting the wrong sort of post hoc ergo propter hoc uh, analysis on it. Um, I don't think it actually does. I really don't think that a well-prepared, qualified candidate is told no. Um, in my experience, preparing people using uh, what amounts to the interview series, we're not really talking about that here, but but that's how I prepare my friends. As John Luck's book, Rites of Passage at $100,000 Plus says in the, in the frontispiece of the book, it says the quote that he puts in there is, this is what I tell my friends. And so when I would prepare my friends, and potential interviewees for interviews, that's the process I took them through. And a well-prepared, screened, so in other words, the skills were there, a well-prepared candidate that screened well um, is going to do well. And and I would argue in many cases is a shoe-in. Um, look, if you just go to the forums, just go to the, 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 the forums at Manager Tools um, and read a few hundred posts about interviewing and career changes and so on and note what 
most people ask and then note what recruiters like, say, Wendy from the UK say. Everyone wants to know that special secret. And she and others are there echoing our point of view about preparation and about trusting the process and doing your homework. Yeah, over and over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, look, our, our first point is that we know that folks don't understand interviewing. Okay, it's a black box. And its outcomes are unpredictable. And that's a baseline for our next point, which is playing the game in an interview is a classic myth. Yeah. Um, look, th this is just a fact of life, folks. When processes are unknown and risk and rewards are significant, myths drive behavior. Sure. If this thing is important to me, but I can't figure it out, I'm a lot less able to be sure of myself. And lacking confidence, right. any creative solution, no matter how bad, particularly any labor-saving solution, looks very, very good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, particularly if your friends around you are doing it that way. There, I believe that there is a, a safety in numbers. Maybe I'm not doing it right, but at least everybody else is doing it that way. And I wouldn't want to be the one person doing it differently, um, particularly if they're ending up getting something that they want, whether they really deeply want it or not. Um, to me, what's terrible about this is that systemically, the myth-driven behavior people gaming the system, playing the game, shading things, and so on, um, you know, being clever, being, quote, smart, which is to say slick. Um, the myth-driven behavior playing the game drives more uncertainty into the outcomes of the black box of interviewing because yeah. you see good people who engage in stupid things in front of intelligent recruiters, whether the recruiter is using a definable, repeatable process or not, doesn't change the fact that he or she's probably reasonably intelligent and certainly more intelligent than the interviewee. Not always, but a lot of the time. Um, and I think that kind of myth, myth driven game playing increases the uncertainty of outcomes and that increases the allure again. The more uncertain the outcomes are, the allure of latching on to any idea, like you say, as you say, the labor-saving idea um, is really powerful. People want to do it. Yeah, and to bring this point home, the myth here that we're talking about is that one needn't prepare for interviewing as long as one is willing to play the game. It's, it's a powerful one driven by, you know, some fairly reasonable thoughts. Yeah, exactly. We start out with the reasonable, the reasonable kernel that you know, interviewing is a black box. And then we gradually roll ourselves into this thing. Well, well, if I can't predict it and I can't, you know, I need, I don't have enough time. Well, then I'm just going to play the game. And quite frankly, everybody's doing it, right? So it's okay. We, um, yeah, it, it's perfectly reasonable. Every step makes sense. And when you get to the end of the road, you look around and go, nah. I think I, I think if this were if this were on the front page of the New York Times, if this were on the front page of the Economist, I might I might blanch a little bit. I might be uncomfortable if everybody knew that I was um, doing it. And of course, everyone knows someone who's done it or alluded to it. They've shaded the truth. They've puffed something up a little bit. They've made things sound better. Um, and as, as I mentioned, later a reporter might discover if there was some analysis, if there's some investigative reporting done, that maybe there was a little bit of meringue there and not a lot of pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically playing in that gray area for many, many people. Yep. You know, yep. Making that you know clever omission, you know, being vague where need be a glossing over or a retelling of a story that makes one look good. Um, 
you know, like talking about being laid off versus being fired, for example. Right. And, and quite frankly, doesn't everybody do that? I mean, you could read articles all the time that say uh, he resigned to pursue other interests. Everybody says, well, that's that's corporate speak for he was fired. Well, yes, in fact, um, you could argue that case, but you could also argue that the boss came to him and says, I'm going to fire you or you could choose to to resign. Um, yeah, well, let's don't yeah. mistake the, the company being polite by public, publicly saying um, he resigned for personal reasons versus the individual being at a party someday and be asking what, you know, being asked what happened and saying, yeah, I got fired. <laughs> exactly. That exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't you know what <laughs> resign for personal reasons mean? It means I got fired. <laughs> yeah. Um, a short job that ended with a termination but somehow got left off of somebody's resume. People do that all the time. Um, because, look, I was only there for a month, and clearly it was a wrong fit. They should never have offered me. I, I, th- I think to myself, when people tell me that, yeah, they shouldn't have offered, and you shouldn't have accepted. Um, uh, grades that are rounded up a bit too much on a, on a, um, on a GPA form. Um, projects that are made to sound bigger. Because really, nobody can actually prove that the impact wasn't that big. We don't really track things that way. It's really hard to hit it, get it to bottom line. So, you know, can you really argue this point? Well, yes, we can, folks. Um, pumping up your involvement to make it look like uh, you you were a leader when you're really only a team member. Because again, that's something that's really hard to check on. And quite frankly, everybody on the team's either dead or they've scattered the four winds, and we don't have their contact information anyway. And suddenly, suddenly we understand why HR says we don't provide any more information than, yes, he or she worked here for a certain period of time. Yeah, well, we, we've seen it all just about. Yeah. And, you know, and, and sometimes interviewers actually fall for it. Right. Uh, but the vast majority of times, though, they don't. I mean, because of Horseman's third law, you're not that smart and they're not that dumb. <laughs> uh, I mean, you really you can't fool folks routinely. You're just not that good. Yeah, there is. Let, let's agree. There is a lot of game playing going on. Lots. Right. Okay. But our point here is not that lying or ethical shading is bad. I mean, don't get us wrong. It is bad. It is bad. But that's not really our point. Our point is it's <laughs> stupid. Do that again, Mike. Do that again. Just walk through that one more time. Because I think somebody might, that, that to me, that sums up this cast. So do the, just say that one more time. I just love that part. <laughs> okay. I, okay. What I was saying was our point is not that lying or ethical shading. That be kind of behavior we're talking about. This be, this myth driven behavior is is bad. Um, it, but it is bad. <laughs> My point. That's not our point, though. That's not our point. Our point is it's just stupid. It's ineffective. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's driven by a myth that is false because of a misunderstanding about interviewing as a system. Yes, exactly right. It's bad, but we don't even need to go to badness in order to tell to abjure you from it. We're simply going to say it's dumb. It's wrongheaded. Don't do it. If you're attending, if you're attending to achieve something that's beyond the short term, Gee, let's hope you are. Um, I can't imagine people investing in their managerial future by thinking completely short term because management is not about the short term. Um, yeah, it's it, 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 separate from the fact it's the right thing to do to behave ethically and to prepare. It's also the smart thing to do. Um, the myth, that myth that we talked about of the black box um, 
causing us, it causes us to justify our laziness. We say, well, I, I don't want to work hard if I just can't predict it, right? I mean, why bother, why bother being Tony Gwynn and spending hours in the, in the, uh, in the batting cage below, um, Jack Murphy Stadium, uh, if in fact the, the pitcher is going to be allowed to stand five feet from you and throw at 100 miles an hour, it, it do, doesn't make any sense, right? So you say, well, gee, I, I won't even prepare. Um, and so we justify that because of a myth, because the pitcher really will be 60 feet, six inches away. Um, and then we use that as a crutch and we have a little bit of cleverness going into the game and we get what we want. And that's not effective. Believe it or not, it sounds effective. It sounds like people can be clever and quick and slick, and it doesn't work. Yeah. I do think it's important here, though, as well, to address some folks who would say, but wait, you guys say the purpose of interviewing is to get the offer, right? So aren't we just doing that very thing? We're doing the oh, yeah. same you thing. Know, you know there are some people who have listened to the interviewing casts um, who maybe think of that very thing. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Yeah. And our answer is yes, but all manager tools recommendations, everything we talk about yep. on our podcast are inherently built on an ethical foundation. It, look at folks, you cannot subvert our intent by eliminating our assumption of ethical behavior. The ends does not justify the means here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Once you take away that ethical underpinning, I think uh, a lot of the stuff we talk about could be twisted in all kinds of which ways. Without that underpinning, the foundation starts to crumble, and we, we don't even want to go there. Um, I think some of the folks, though, at this point, Mike, I think some of the folks who think we're long-winded sometimes in advance of the core of our show, uh, I, I think they probably think we went a long time on the preparation. And yet, I wouldn't switch this for anything because I, I think it's valuable. Yeah, well, I, I, I think it's absolutely worth it. I mean, we, we think this kind of underpinning is valuable in cases like this, rather than just saying, do this. Right, just do this, yeah. Yeah, we right. want folks to understand the genesis. We'll never get away from the, okay, so what do I do now? That's right. that's us. But knowing the why makes us better able to handle the subtleties around organizational and professional life. So, yeah. but now it it is time to go uh, lay out Horseman's Wager in two-by-two two form. Well, we'll end it there and complete this topic next week. Now, for premium subscribers, you'll have a jump on the cast as the show notes and presentations cover next week's cast as well. If you're not a premium member and would like detailed transcripts or show notes and slides for the podcast, check it out on the website, www.manager-tools.com. You know, put the reprinted materials in a binder and refer to it in the future when you have some specific problem you need help with. I know Mark said something about that. Now, what was it? Well, that question becomes much easier with the premium content. Check it out. So with that, folks, until next week, so long.